When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. And welcome to another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Gelsey Laurie. This week, as always, we're joined by our beautiful producer, co-host, and friend, Matt Kelly. And we are going to talk about the history of the Broadway. With tear-dimmed eye, they say goodbye. They're friends without a doubt. When the man on the pier shouts, let them clear as the ship strikes out. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. For good times, the best times, you can't go The Broadway. Gelsey. The Broadway, yes. It is it is Tony Awards time. Very exciting time if you're a musical nerd. And I couldn't tell you one musical that's out right now on Broadway. Nope, not I'm at not all. Lie. I know that Sweeney Todd is <laughs> apparently no doing there. really well. Um, that's about is... all I know. Sweeney Todd, some revival of Sweeney Todd. I is apparently had doing no great. idea they were even revived. I I didn't even know that was being revived. I didn't realize. So I used to live in New York. For those of you who didn't know, um, I moved there right before the New Year of 2010. I was a little 18-year-old, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed Gelsey. If you want to do the math of how old I am, I'm about to be 32. I did it for you. There you go. Um, <laughs> but I was very young, and I was going to dance and be on the Broadway. And I I danced my tits off when I was there. But the studio I danced at um, – literally danced my tits off. I, I was flat-chested. I was dancing so much. I would walk by the theaters every single day to get to class, and it was kind of my inspiration you know, and motivation to go work hard and seeing where I wanted to be. And it, it was such a cool thing to do at that age – and so I was very literally in the scene. I was taking classes from instructors who were in shows. I was dancing next to people who had to leave class early to go to their call time, to go to their shows. I knew what was on Broadway. I would rush every show I could when I was there. It was awesome. 
And then when I left New York, I didn't realize how immediately out of the scene I was. And then I just had no idea what was on Broadway anymore. And I was like, now I'm like, huh? It's it's so crazy. But it's just not my world anymore, to be honest. And I've definitely kind of, I have the shows that are dear and near to my heart, but I really don't listen to musicals like I used to as a teenager. And now I'm kind of like, yeah, it's fine. But we are going to talk about the history of Broadway because yeah. it's kind of a little interesting thing to talk about. And, hey, you know, this little street in New York suddenly become the mecca of the musical. Oh, little it is not. Let me <laughs> tell you, Matt. It is one of the largest streets in New York. Um, little Moira there for you to tell you. Um, so anyone that doesn't know, they're like, what the fuck is even Broadway? Hello? Are you on this earth? But if you don't know, it is the theaters in the theater district that um, is any venue with 500 seats or more located along Broadway um, in the New York theater district. And today there are 41 theaters. So that's kind of what it is. They are normally either musicals or plays, but sometimes they are, say, like one-man shows. Like Carrie Fisher did her one-man show on Broadway, which I'm really – Wishful drinking was there when I lived there. And I remember being like, that's dumb. And then a couple of years ago, I listened to one of her audiobooks of The Princess Diarist. And I wish she is such a good storyteller. Yeah. I wish I would have seen it. I'm mad I didn't, but RIP Princess. So Broadway Street is a 13 mile street and it runs through Manhattan and the Bronx. And it goes all the way up to Sleepy Hollow, which I wasn't aware of that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, which is really cool. I actually took the train up to Sleepy Hollow when I lived there to do a Halloween gig to do like a, I'm scary and I'm scaring people. And Sleepy Hollow is dope. But um, that's why I said it is not a little street. The Native Americans originally carved what was called the Wickwagsgeck Trail as the main north to south road on the island. And then when the Dutch came in, they widened it and renamed it in the 17th century to Heaton Way, which is Gentleman's Way. Then in 1664, the English come in and take over and they renamed it Broadway for how wide it is because it's broad. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. I read that, that and I was like, totally oh, like sense. broad, duh. But like yeah. it's so embedded in our head like Broadway that I didn't even think it literally is yeah. it's wide. I, I wide never way. in a million years was like, yeah, of course it's just named after the street because it's a wide street. I was like, well, Broadway broad. must mean some musical thing that they named the street after. Isn't it? I know. I was just <laughs> like, like, you fucking idiot, Kelsey. <laughs> it's literally just, yeah. So it's one of... New York's oldest streets. It existed before the commissioner's plan of 1811, which was the original design for Manhattan above Houston Street, which used a rectangular grid, and it is based on what the grid is today. Um, it is one of the few streets so that does not follow the grid. So, you know, Manhattan kind of has the avenues and streets, and it runs in a pretty number basic system, and Broadway's like, fuck you, and just does whatever it wants to the whole island. It's gotcha. Like, um, yes, that's my best. So the theater district now is in the midtown it goes from west 41st street to west 54th street from 6th to 8th avenue the theater presence in new york was as early as the mid 1700s and it wasn't until the late 1800s that it moved uptown it was more downtown at first so it wasn't always in the theater district we know today it was that area was mainly family residents and farms kind okay. of what we know now as the family or the theater district and the first theater presence was mainly Shakespeare and operas because that's really all that existed. In 1750, we get the first significant theater and there were actor managers, Walter Murray and Thomas Keene, and they established a resident theater company, the theater on Nassau Street, which was in lower Manhattan, and it sat 280 people. 
Obviously, then we hit the Revolutionary War, so theater gets suspended, and it resumes in 1798. We get the Park Theater built, which is now in Park Row, and that seats 2,000 people. So now we're still, you know, like building that, uh, still downtown. And in 1826, we get the Bowery Theater. So theaters are starting to pop up more. By the 1840s, we have P.T. Barnum coming in, and he built his huge entertainment complex in Lower Manhattan. If you want to know more about P.T. Barnum, which we should do an episode on, just watch Greatest Showman. It's completely historically accurate. Yeah, you know? yeah there's no, um, they didn't take any liberties whatsoever with his story. No, you know what? <laughs> a little side note real quick. People like to bitch about The Greatest Showman, and they're like, oh, my God, it was just so stereotypical. You could see what was happening, this, that. I'm fucking so here for it. I was so entertained. The music is so goddamn damn catchy the dancers are great Hugh Jackman is a god he is the most talented human like I was like I'm not mad at this like why are you all complaining I'm having a great time watching this here was my very quickly while we're on the greatest showman I saw it and I had all the complaints that everyone else had the first time I was like this is like this didn't do it for me I wanted to like this I didn't like it but I was dating somebody who hadn't seen it and they really wanted to see it and I didn't want to ruin it for them. So I pretended that I hadn't seen it yet and went and sat through it a second time. And it was that second time that I really like fell in love with it. And then I was showing it to everybody. I was like, you've got to see The Greatest Showman. But it sometimes took me it a takes, shot. It took me a second Sometimes watch. it does. I was with, I was in the theater with two other people and we were the only ones in the theater actually. And they were like laughing and ripping it apart the whole time. And I was like, shut up you guys like why why do we have to be a critic you know me in movies i'm a very easy critic like i'm not gonna get that deep unless the movie's terrible i'm very just like i'm here for a good time and i'm not gonna get too deep with it if you entertain me like it's good enough and i was so entertained and like i said the music is catchy the music really, really good like it's so it really is anyways we get then um the astor opera house in 1847 in that location in 1849, there's a riot that breaks out, and it's the lower class against the high society snobbery. So there's kind of this like madness. And after that riot happens, entertainment in New York City gets divided among classes. So that's really what's the catalyst between splitting up what we know. So the operas became upper middle class and upper class. Those are the only people that went to operas. The middle class where uh Mistral shows and melodramas. And then the lower class got variety shows in concert saloons, um, which was, you know, the slummy class and working. So that's the first time we start seeing that major class division in our entertainment. 42nd Street um, starts to open. So now we do start to move things a bit up. In 1836, it was opened by Mayor Cornelius Lawrence, and he invited people up to enjoy the pure, clean air, which that was kind of the slogan to get up to 42nd Street, which I thought was kind of funny because that is not what you get now. I'm like, I read that and I was like, I'm sorry, what? the pure, clean, what? God, <laughs> um, <laughs> 1800s different. I always trip out when I watch like period pieces um in movies that are set in New York and it is any time before even like the 1920s in New York you see it and it's just like the New York we know today is was not yet built and it, I don't know why it trips me up so much where they're like we're in Midtown and I'm like what where are the third stories little yeah. on the 60th like <laughs> it's just of course that's how it was but it's at my mind can't wrap my head around it so yeah so we start moving things up um do we get the first long run musical that um, gets 50 performance. It was a 50 performance hit, which at the time a 50 performance run was kind of a big deal. And it was called The Elves of 1857 is when that comes out. 
the heart of Broadway at that yeah. time is now in Union Square. So we're not quite up to where we got, but we're up to Union Square. And it then moves up to Madison Square. And then the early 1900s is when Times Square kind of becomes. So it takes a little bit where it slowly inches up. But New York runs were lagging behind any London runs. So New York runs were doing well, but nothing can beat the runs that London was getting. Then we get a troupe, Laura Keene's theater troupe, came out with the musical Burletta, The Seven Sisters in 1860, and this shattered New York records. It had a run of 253 performances, which at that point was like, whoa. Yeah. Now, ironically, Laura Keene's troupe was the same troupe that did a performance in Washington, D.C. of Our American Cousins, where Lincoln was shot. Oh. So I was like, yeah. Oh. So, good job, Keynes. God. Yeah. Had they not had a successful theater company, maybe Mr. Abraham Lincoln would still be alive today. Yeah. Just maybe. Yeah, stop putting on such good shows. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Too all right, soon, all right. okay. Kelsey. Too soon for Lincoln. <laughs> too soon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the I do do two things too soon. It'll be like a week after some tragedy, and I'm like, but it's like, no, get out. <laughs> I look, I cope with humor. What can I say? I laugh so I don't cry. Otherwise, I'm going to be a fucking emotional mess and probably yeah. like not leave my room. Um, so in 1866, we get the black crook. Ooh, my dad's calling me. Dad, when you're listening to this episode, you just tried to call to talk about Star Wars night tonight, but I'll call you back later. Um, <laughs> my dad and I are going to a Disney After Dark event tonight. Nice. And it's Star Wars night, so I'm super excited. Um, okay. So this is the first... The Black Crook is the first piece that conforms to modern conception of a musical. So this is our first musical that we can kind of transfer and relate. Before the so-called musicals I was talking about were not song and dance of a story. They were more a performance with musical numbers that have nothing to do, like songs that already exist and it, almost variety, but not quite. But this one is the first time that we've added dance and original music to continuously tell the story, okay. which is what we know as a musical today. It ran for five and a half hours. It was a five and a half hour show, Jesus. which I was like, fuck that. If a show is like more than three hours or like anywhere near three, I get like, I'm antsy. Mm -mm, yeah. This is really long. Um, but it ran for a record-breaking 474 performances. Wow. That's a yeah, lot of hours. Crazy. But you know what? <laughs> you know what, Matt? 1866, what the fuck else was there to do but sit that, in the theater for five and a half hours? That is true. And watch some obscurities. So, you know, they didn't have TikTok to scroll through. The... <laughs> First Vaudeville Theater gets built in Union Square in 1881, um, and people like Lillian Russell perform there, who she was a very famous actress and singer. And musicals started being written from there. Significant step forward from burlesque and vaudeville, which were kind of a main source of entertainment. Um, vaudeville we will also someday do an episode on, but was much more, there's no story to vaudeville. It's a variety show. Yeah. It's, you know, you're going to get the dogs doing tricks, acrobats, and people like Fred and his sister Adele were dancing on the vaudeville train. And then burlesque is obviously, but burlesque wasn't just stripping. <laughs> Nipple tassels. Um, Va uh, burlesque feathers. also kind of... <laughs> naked burlesque had a lot of comedy acts too there was always normally a host with kind of crude comedy so vaudeville and burlesque though different were very crossovery you know just depend uh, moving forward so transportation starts getting improved um 
poverty gets decreased, street lighting gets added to streets, which makes traveling by night safer. So the number of potential theater patrons are increased, which improves production value. And the theater began to be cleaned up as well. So there's less prostitution around, which with less prostitution, it hinders the attendance of theater by women. So now we're going to get more women coming because the sluts are gone. Um, And it's also safer, (laughs) or excuse me, the hewers. Anyways, shit's getting cleaned up. Yay, theater is going to be better. Um, We get our first in 1896, the Theatrical Syndicate, which um, was formed by theater owners Mark Claw and A.L. Erlanger. Not that any of you give two fucks who they are, but it was an organization that controlled the majority of bookings in the U.S. And they were the monopoly on that for 16 years and kind of controlled the entire almost theater operations of the U.S. for that long We start getting off-Broadway theaters, which are smaller vaudeville and variety houses um, with houses proliferated. What is, I don't know. They were well-established by the end of the 19th century. So off-Broadway, we still have that. um, Basically, it's not literally that it's like off the streets. A lot of theaters that are on Broadway technically are not on Broadway, but excuse me. um, They're just smaller, smaller venues is what kind of defines that. A, we get 1898, a show called A Trip to Coontown, and it's the first musical comedy entirely produced and performed by African Americans in a Broadway theater. Hundreds of musical comedies are staged in the 1890s and early 1900s. A lot of the shows are made up of songs written in Tin Pan Alley. That's where we get a lot of our writers and musicians from. Then we get the electric signs that we know also famous from Broadway. The Red Mill in 1906 was the first show to get an electric sign. And the colored bulbs burned out too quickly. So that's why we get all the white lights. And they got the nickname The Great White Way was Broadway. I didn't know that. Hey. We get 1919, the Actors' Equity Association gets formed, and they demanded standardized contracts for all professional productions. That was after a strike that shut down all theaters and producers were forced to agree, which strikes, you know, they always work. Right now, currently, we are in a writer's strike in Hollywood. Yay. It's good. I'm glad they're going to get whatever they want because streaming's fucking everyone over. But for everyone that needs that work, we are screwed. So (laughs) love it. Love that journey for us. Um, I love that. uh, What was the most... (laughs) There was some, I think it was the president of Warner Brothers made a comment that was like along the lines of the strike will end because the desire, the love of their work will overcome their desire for money. And it was like, <laughs> let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, money always wins. <laughs> yeah, it's like always. There's a lot. Of I love things, I love. but I will buckle the fuck over when I'm starving, need to pay rent and I'll take the job. Yeah, yeah. money. Yeah. Money, 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 please. <laughs> Money makes a Okay, so we get the Schubert brothers. <laughs> By the 1920s, they take over the majority of the theaters from the Wrangler Syndicate. So now we're kind of, they're breaking that monopoly. We get our first play, not our first first play, but the play Lightning is the first show to reach 700 performances. And it goes on to reach the first thousand. It's the longest running show until 1925. Um, so we also kind of start getting, I believe that's the first play as well to kind of show that we're going to be able to get that as a success on Broadway, not just the musical big over the top productions. The competition with motion pictures comes in. So we start, you know, once 
the silent films weren't as big of a competition because obviously, eh, but then we get the jazz singer, which is the first of the talkies. It kills out vaudeville, pretty much dies out. Most of those stars are now featured in films. So yeah. vaudeville stars get taken. They're put on. That's yeah, where you the see film, the Marx I. brothers Fred. start to blow up, stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. Um, but the musicals, so the musicals of the 20s start ignoring the plot and they focus emphasizing more on star actors, big dance routines and popular songs. They're like, okay, to compete with the movies, we have to just focus on getting the big names and having these big showstoppers. So the plots, that's why a lot of the shows, and we've talked about it, even a lot of the MGM musicals that you're like, the plot doesn't really matter. You're not wrong. That's exactly yeah. what happened is that they kind of go, eh, we just need the plot to tie these cool songs together and get someone worth in. Yeah. You get the we occasional get like one-offs. Like, I love – one of my personal favorite musicals is Anything Goes, and that's a bunch of, like, show-stopping Cole Porter stuff. But I actually think that the plot of that show is, like, fun, too, because it's very vaudeville ridiculousness of, like – Yeah, like, yeah. No, I mean, we get some great – Cole Porter is – we do – I want to say, like, the 1920s – we get some of the best composers. We get George Gershwin, who actually wrote Rhapsody in Blue. Didn't yep. I was like, oh yeah, shit. And Swanee, um, Cole Porter must be one of the top all time. And just the word show that he has. Is, I mean, that's it's the loveliest, anything goes, like, the beautiful. Love song. I love. I've got you under my skin, night and day. It's. I fucking love. It. Have you seen the movie D Lovely? I mean, that must have yes, come out it's great. twenty years ago. It's great, so good. Is it Kevin Klein and Ashley Judd? Yeah, and also it's, Kevin Klein's like, one of my favorites. If we're naming some Cole Porter songs, one of these days you and I will be in person together again, and we'll have to record ourselves doing Friendship. <laughs> like it's Friendship, Friendship. That's the perfect yeah. Friendship. <laughs> I do love Cole Porter. Um, Jerome Kern, who wrote Old Man River, which that I love that song. It's a beautiful song, but my favorite, my dad growing up, he would wake up with like intense morning voice. And so he would have like a really low voice and he would always sing Old Man River. Cause he'd be like, <laughs> Oh, I, I can, I can sit it. He'd be so, it's like the funniest thing, but I've, um, that song can bring me to tears. It's beautiful. And then we get um, composer and lyricist team, Rogers and Hart. They write a ton. Blue Moon, Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered. Um, a lot of these songs that were written for shows in the 20s then became jazz standards still to this day. So the 1920s really was just like a magical decade. Um, Florence Zigfield is around. He's producing his annual spectacular with elaborate sets, costumes, song and dance. Zigfield kind of went more on like an over-the-top vaudeville vibe in a way because there was never really a story it was just acts that had nothing to do with it but it was all about i mean zigfield really started that elaborate showmanship which i think then really is what we get in our classic mgm you know esther williams and that kind of vibe where it's just that kind of over the top thing um so our first major dramatic step forward in shows was showboat and it premiered mm -hmm. December 27th, 1927, and it ran for 572 performances, kind of proving that there is a place for drama and touchy subjects to come on stage, and people really liked it. Um, Eugene O'Neill was a dramatic playwright, and he was another one that first introduced U.S. drama technique of realism to the stage. He was awarded in 1936 a Nobel Prize for his work, and he also proved that drama was a success for plays. He specifically paved the way for former or further on playwrights like Tennessee Williams, Alma Rice, Arthur Mil Miller, who 
I'll become some of the most famous playwrights of the Broadway stage. Um, and so then we get into post-war era. So that kind of goes on for a while. And we hit the golden age of Lay Broadway. All right. And also, just real quick, throwing it out there, since we brought up Old Man River and Showboat, the home of the song Old Man River, Showboat. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> there you go. There we go. All right. So post-war era, we get um, the golden age. We get blockbuster hits such as Oklahoma in 1943, which ran for 2,212 performance. Um, And a lot of the 40s and 50s are, you know, the musicals that today are still being revived, this, that. We get a decline in the late 1960s. Um, The late 1960s marked a time of cultural upheaval. So all of those changes would prove painful for many, including those behind the scenes as well as those in the audience. It's... It seemed like traditional book musicals were back in style when the decade ended, but it just critics and audiences were giving mixed signals and it just wasn't hitting the same way it had. I think kind of that happy song and dance, even the more dramatic ones just weren't hitting the way that they did. So we really start to see a decline in the 60s and 70s, but also at that time, there's a worsening of the area of Times Square and a drop of number of legitimate shows produced on Broadway. It's into the 80s. You know, Times Square then became a very dangerous time. I think a lot of the theaters got rented out as like adult theaters. They were just showing pornos at that time. It, it kind of became this real sketch area. So of course, financially, it's all about money. Producers were not looking at this as a good investment to have a Broadway show open because people aren't coming to that very scary area. But in early 1982, Joe Papp was a theatrical producer and director who established the public theater, led the Save the Theaters campaign. And it was a non-for-profit group supported by the actors' equity to save their theaters and everything. So he did a bunch of government work, blah, 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 to put money back in. And that's when the theaters started kind of reviving. And then through the 90s, really a huge shift happened. And Times Square got cleaned up. I think Disney put in a bunch of money as well and completely changed it and revived everything. And and we are where we are today. We got that theater district back. And that's that's about it. That's what I got. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about what's currently happening on Broadway in just a second. But first, we'll go to some quick commercials. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. Hello everyone, we're Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and if you think you know about superheroes and comic books, think again. We got romance, we got action, romance. we got comedy, we got everything you need, man. Come on down to Superhero Stuff You Should Know for all your superhero needs. Uh, ro- I, I don't know about this romance, what part are you talking about? We've got all kinds of sketches, and then deep dives on top of that. Come on down to Superhero Stuff You Should Know. Alright, so come on down to, su- wait, why did I say come on down? To Superhero Stuff You Should Know. Gelsey, I pulled up the Broadway Wikipedia page because 
because as we said in the beginning of this, you and I, as much as we do love a musical, uh, I've only ever seen one musical on Broadway. And as you've said, you've kind of been tapped out of it for the last couple of years on what's going on. So I said, let's take a look at what's happening in Broadway right now. What's playing? If you're, let's say you're hypothetically coming to New York, you've got a couple shows that you can choose to see. We'll stick with just the musicals. There's a couple plays as well, but a few of the musicals playing right now, Moulin Rouge, Chicago, oh, yeah. Funny Girl, Always. Yeah. Uh, Beautiful Noise, Here Lies okay. Love. I do want to mention this play just because the name has grabbed me. Peter Pan Goes Wrong. <gasps> I have seen clips of that online and it looks fucking brilliant. It's like, it's kind of a noises off situation yeah. where they are putting on the play of Peter Pan and like shit goes wrong. And I... I saw a couple of clips and it looks so like the kids are in the bunk beds and the bunk beds fall and they're like trying to like <laughs> be professional and keep on with the scene. I but it's love like, like those smushed. types of shows. It looks I love <laughs> so funny. No, I did see some stuff and that looks great. Well, that's closing July 9th. So you gotta, if you want to um, see it on Broadway, you gotta hurry. I do not uh, think I'm going to be able to make it out, but <laughs> Book of Mormon is currently playing. God, still. I don't want to see that so bad. Wicked. <laughs> Uh, Bed Cinderella never. just opened as well as uh, uh, that's a play scrolling, scrolling, whatever six is. I'm not familiar with that. As oh, I, I want to see that. <laughs> it's it's a, a concept musical about um, Henry VIII's six wives, but it's as if it's a pop concert and they're all pop divas and they sing oh. about it looks I've heard oh, I've seen some clips from it and I was like, this is I kind of like the new thing we're doing with like historical ideas, but modernizing them into this like kind of fun. Like, why not? Yeah. I obviously love history, so I think it's fun. Uh, as I said earlier, Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Flint Street, Flit Street, Fleet, Fleet, Fleet Street, uh, opened Fleet Street. in March. Uh, Once upon a one more time, uh, the Lion King, MJ the musical, Aladdin, <laughs> Hamilton, the musical yeah. version of Some Like It Hot. I saw that that was out and I was like, I'm sorry, I need to see that. Yeah, Camelot. And then opening in August, Back to the Future, the musical. No, stop with these, like, making these movies, musicals. Like, it <laughs> does, no, like, honestly, I've never seen Legally Blondes. Yes, some of the songs are catchy. I've heard it's really good, but like that, Mean Girls, this shit, like, stop. Yeah, I don't well, know and I just heard crazy. about this one that I am going to absolutely try to drag my friend to see. Uh, but opening... In August 10th, 2023, there will be a play called The Shark is Broken. And the entire premise is that it is on the filming of Jaws and the shark continues to break and it just follows actors Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus, and Roy Schneider as they slowly go crazy with boredom and argue and tell stories of their past to each other. And what makes it all the more interesting is that Robert Shaw's son wrote the show and plays his father. Um, oh, that's fun. So I'm like, oh, I'm kind of. And it looks like it is literally just a three man show on a on like a set that's built to look like the Orca from Jaws. And they're just waiting for when the shark is repaired and like <laughs> passing the time together. And I'm like, you know what? My friend and I love Jaws. I bet we would love the shit out of that play. <laughs> I've definitely seen a couple plays where it's like just four people. And I've, those have been some of my favorite. Like 2009, I saw um, God of Carnage. I'm trying to see who I saw. I know Jeff Daniels, I for sure saw. Yeah. 
and Lucy Liu was in it. I'm trying to figure out who the other two, but it's just four. It's two couples in a room and it was brilliant. I went by myself and it was such – I used to go to shows all by myself all the time because I would just kind of be walking by and I'd be like – I'm going to see if I can get a student rush and I would just take myself well, that was to a Broadway show. My friend uh, who used to live in North Jersey, so practically New York, uh, as far as being able to go see Broadway shows pretty easily. Uh, mm. They used to tell me all the time that their little secret was that they would just walk the streets. And if it was like a start time of six o'clock at 555, they would just see if there was any available tickets because he's like, you could get seats into what would normally be like maybe a 200 dollar show mm -hmm. for like 40 bucks because they don't want to have empty seats but yep. you have to literally just be willing to see anything <laughs> like... Student rush was the best like yeah i would say that some of the plays that were my favorite they were all comedies it was that one um lend me a tenor is brilliant and 39 steps which is like a spoof of, of the alfred hitchcock alfred movie? hitchcock but only four people are in the cast and it's like they play everybody. And so the switchbacks, like they might have a different hat and be like yeah. in a scene where there are two different people. It was brilliant. I forget what so the good. show was. My my family, despite knowing that I love musicals, had a very sexist women-only trip to Broadway every year to see a musical <laughs> while Matt stayed behind, I guess, pretending to care about sports with the men. <laughs> but I remember they saw a show. I can't remember what the name of it was, but it was essentially like a like a musical review type deal where they were just doing songs from all these different musicals. But the concept was that everything was broken constantly. And I know that my mom was talking about one of them was that they did a song from Les Mis, which has the infamous spinning tile thing and it was uh -huh. that the tile was spinning too fast and that they were like running on top of it. That's to like, funny. That's funny. <laughs> so just be like your favorite musical numbers in like the worst possible circumstance of the performance or whatever. But I have to ask, cause like I said, the only one I've seen is Hamilton. It was a trip that me and my friends saved up to go see. It wasn't the original cast. It was like the second run cast, but I want to see more musicals. You obviously living in New York for a couple of years and popping I in whenever you could. So many, is there any specific show that is like your, your fondest memory or they all kind of bleed together at this point? They kind of bleed together, to be honest. Right. I hate to say that because it's like there were definitely some shows that were incredible. It, You know what? West Side Story might be that for me just because it was like the show that inspired me to go to New York. Yeah. Like that was my show I wanted to dance in. Um, I literally watched the movie last night, which don't watch that movie a couple glasses of wine in alone in your bedroom. I cried so hard <laughs> every time. Um. I, I know I was in need of it, but yeah, I can't say, I can't say that there's one that really stands out to be honest. All right. No biggie. Well, it was so long ago. If we've got these diehard musical fans listening that either a want to tell us their biggest Broadway experience or B want to suggest us, or at least me, since I'm closer to New York, a show that I should definitely make the trek up there to see, how can they let us know? Yeah, please let us know on our Instagram. You can find us at Before My Time underscore podcast or on the Facebook. Just type in Before My Time. We'll pop up right on our wall. DM us. Comment on our latest post. Let us know what Broadway musical is your favorite or your fondest memory. Oh, by the way, I did see Wicked with the original cast of Kristen Chenoweth and Idina Menzel. Ooh. That was pretty cool. But I was 12 and I was at ballet camp in Philadelphia. I was at the Rock School Ballet in Philly. 
and we took like a day trip. So I had no idea what the fuck I was seeing and who the hell these people were because I was a like diehard ballerina. But I remember being like, that was really good. And then years later, I was like, oh, shit, that was really good. Um, (laughs) Side side story. Anyways, uh, leave us a review if you want. It would really help us out. Get in front of more listeners like yourself. Hope you enjoyed today's episode and see you next week. Bye. to laugh geek out on music and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth if so you need to subscribe to one hit thunder together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests we do a weekly dive into one hit wonders like eiffel 65's blue crayshawn's gucci gucci emf's unbelievable delamitri's roll to me los del rio's macarena musical youth's past the duchy and even patrick swayze's she's like the wind so are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.